Blog Talk Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Richard Carrier, and I took a left at the valley with Kevin and Karen. I woke up this morning, had a burning deep inside. Like when you're feeling, it's all a big lie. I feel the pain. Well, we are back across the Fraser Valley and around the world now. Welcome to Left of the Valley with Kevin and Karen. Hi, Karen. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. You missed the last show. And we have some guests here today. You want to do the introductions? Oh, well, we have Nancy with us, of course. Of course. Good afternoon, everybody. And um, we have Liam Johnson. Hello. And we have Jeff Grubin, who's been away for a while, but welcome back, Jeff. Good to be back. Awesome. Uh, well, we got a great show going on today. Uh, we'll be uh, having an interview with Hemant Mehta, uh, the, uh, known as the Friendly Atheist, and we'll be talking about Diplomat versus Firebrand. Which one are you? Which one should you be? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, Liam, congratulations go to you, sir. Uh, from, uh, you just had prom. Yeah. How did that go? Pretty well. Um, uh, wearing an old uh, like Victorian-styled suit, and my favorite comment was, uh, is your outfit a religious thing? <laughs> Someone thought that we were Amish, so <laughs> really. Yeah. Now, if it, well, of course it's radio. You're gonna have to describe the outfit. Oh, I had a, a frock coat on and a top hat. Uh, nice. Old brass buttons, pocket watch. Did you have a monocle? No, I didn't have a oh, monocle. Oh, jeez. Should have had a monocle. <laughs> uh, and uh, I also hear you had a bit of a a bit of a uh, run-in with a teacher at the uh, ceremony. Oh yeah. Um. So at the prom dinner. They uh, had a grace. They opened with a prayer. Um, Interesting. Thanking God for all this stuff and that we were graduating and whatnot. And as soon as I heard that, I kind of stiffened. And, and as soon as it was over, I went up and talked to the principal and said, you know, why did we have this? This is not representative of all the students here. Good for you. So Good for yeah. you for doing that. So uh, that would be firebrand? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was very diplomatic about it, but I didn't. I didn't let it pass. No, no, and good for him for speaking up. And it just shows that, you know, even though a lot of people say, you know, we don't have the, the same problems that the, we fa- the Americans face in their country, it is still happening here, right here mm-hmm. in this country. And it is completely unfair uh, for those students mm-hmm. that are not Christian, you know, could be of any other denomination. And I think there's a fair number of students in that class who are of a different religious background. So it's not just an atheist thing. It's just a cultural thing, and it's disrespectful. That's right. It's a good thing that you can speak up for many that aren't brave enough or don't know how to do it. And mm-hmm. since you did it very well, you probably, you know, change things. I hope as uh, as the year maybe by next year it'll change. Yeah, it'd hopefully. be great. Yeah, that's hopefully yeah, they don't just uh, wash over it. Well, we might as well go. We got a big board on uh, going on there, so we might as well keep going with our day in history. Off we go, and it's a roundup of those events and individuals that altered and illuminated the days between May 11th to May 24th. Starting with May 11th, it was Technology Day in India. In uh, 868, not 1868, but 868, this is kind of neat, the first known dated printed book. Uh, called the Diamond Sutra, or the Perfection of Wisdom, which was a 
a Buddhist scripture was found in uh, the caves of a thousand Buddhas in Turkestan, and it's now one of the great treasures of the British Library. What's even more interesting is the guy who found it, who was a uh, Hungarian Jew named Mark Oral Stein. He went by the name Oral. And as a young man, he and his brother both realized that if they retain their Jewish faith, that access to education and the professions are going to be denied to them. So they deliberately uh, became baptized as Lutherans. And even though everyone knew that they came from a Jewish background, becoming Lutheran did open up the doors in a, a, a lot of, especially the British schools, because they moved to London. And he went to Cambridge, a brilliant, brilliant guy, um, and uh, really became enamored of everything that was going on in the Middle East and the, the spice roads, the Silk Road spices. Um, and the way he got the scrolls was he bribed a guard. <laughs> and the Chinese and, and the, those the Turkish he was always on the on the hit list thereafter. And the the other interesting thing about him is that he had a dog named Dash. Well, actually, he had seven dogs named Dash because every time he'd lose one, he'd rename the new one Dash. So, <laughs> a, I don't know whether he wore one of those really interesting um, big uh, explorer hats or not, but internally, the guy was a firebrand for archaeology. That's for sure. <laughs> awesome. There we go. And on May the 15th is the first of two uh, this week that have to do with the end of the world predictions. Love the end of the world. So in 19... <laughs> yeah, I know. They're great. In 1994, uh, there was a prediction about the end of the world by a group called the Panawave or the Panawave Laboratory in Japan. Panawave? Panawave. Well, the, the Panawave... It's like a cooking spray. It does. It, uh, why somebody should some nice end of the world religious group should name <laughs> <laughs> name a product after after Panawave and nothing that would, sticks to them. Yeah, that would get merchandising and end of the world into into one group, which would be interesting. Anyway, it was founded by a woman named Yuko Chino, and the uh, religion it was a combination of Christianity, Buddhism, and New Age doctrines. So the guys who were a part uh, called themselves a scientific faction, and they were upset because they thought that there were evils in electromagnetic waves, which the group claimed were causing catastrophic environmental destruction and climate change. So they they built actually built a panawave laboratory, and all of the members started to dress in white. So, yeah, and then they would cover cars in white. They would cover everything with white because they felt it was a shield against the the pan waves. They were also uh, were very concerned about harmful scholar waves. I, I think that's to pronounce it S C A L A R. At any rate, a lot of those were those are woo woo waves. So they really believed that these electromagnetic waves were being used against them by communists to try and kill their leader. So they alleged that a close encounter with an undiscovered 10th planet was predicted for May the 15th and that that um, collision would cause the Earth's poles to flip over and lead to catastrophic earthquakes and tsunamis which would destroy most of mankind. That missing planet prediction still goes on actually. Yes. That, what do yeah. they call it, Nibiru or something like that? 
sending. Yeah, so May 15 came and went, and then they predicted for May 22nd, and then after that they just sort of slunk off to the <laughs> dark hole of history, never to be like every other again. prediction. Yeah, exactly. Um, May 17th uh, in 1967. I didn't realize this, but the Scopes trial was in 1925 where you could not teach evolution in Tennessee. It took to 1967 until that act was overturned. Because Scopes lost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so it was, but a, it was still 40 years. On, yeah, it was still on the books to 1967. Mm-hmm. Uh, May 18th was Victoria Day and the long weekend. Uh, this is this is really funny. When I do these, the research on all of this, I go through a lot of very scholarly um, uh, history orb, this day in history, uh, brainy history, and all of them are very dry. It's the facts, and you go through and you try. But mostly it's just the fact, except for this one. I just nearly rolled on the floor because the fellow who wrote this has probably the only sense of humor in the entire scholarly research world. <laughs> and it is that in um, 1830, Edward Budding of England signs an agreement for manufacture of his invention, the lawnmower. Saturdays are destroyed forever. And <laughs> fell over I thought how did he sneak that in and get away with it but that was that was just kind of a cute one yeah, yeah. Um, May 18th was also the 1980 eruption of Mount St. Helens mm. our neighbor to the south um, and in 2006 this is interesting um, because Texas is usually a state that we associate with all of the weird things to the right but in 2006 there was a group called the North Texas Church of Free Thought, and they're still uh, in, in operation, founded by a, a guy, Tim Gorski, um, and, and a woman, Marilyn Sullivan, in 1994, and many people consider that the first explicitly non-theistic and non-supernaturalistic religious organization in the U.S. Kind of interesting that it's in the middle of Dallas-Fort Worth, and in 2006, the state controller's office granted them a tax-exempt status. And they were encouraged to get it by the Americans United for Separation of Church and State. So there's a glimmer of hope in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I mean, they operate like a church. They just have one less God than most of the other churches. Everything's weirder in Texas. Everything's weird. Well, naturally. I'm from Texas. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean you. I didn't not, mean you. Not originally. <laughs> but spent on and off 40 years there. So, um, May 21st. Uh, well, no, let's go back to May 20th. Uh, that was Josephine Baker Day, who we talked about Mother's Day. So it's 1899, and New York was still New Amsterdam. And a New York taxi driver named Jacob German was arrested for speeding. 1899. Anybody want to guess how fast he was going in his taxi cab? 20 kilometers an hour. It would be miles. I gotta gotta do miles. Oh yeah, it would be miles. Yeah. Yeah. 12 miles an hour in a 9 mile an hour zone. And the poor guy spent the night in jail. It's about that, right? pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. Cool. Things have changed. For me. (laughs) There we go. May 21st uh, is World Day for Cultural Diversity for the Dialogue and Development um, uh, and 
1927, Charles Lindbergh set the record, uh, setting down in Paris, completing the first uh, solo nonstop flight. And then in 1934, Amelia Earhart followed in his wake by becoming the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic. But there's another one that's coming at the end of this program, so it's interesting that in May, three records were set by um, aviators who were world-renowned. But the third one you're not going to recognize as much, but she she's really up there. And in 2011, here we go with the the second and last doomsday and that was maybe you remember this in 2011 Harold Egbert Camping oh of course do you remember him yeah yeah it was in May right uh, yeah of course we're doing the same history yes uh, it was uh, save the date uh, it was a yeah save the date he, he, uh, he sold a whole bunch of things some people went bankrupt selling their possessions and getting ready for the uh, it was May 21st right yeah, yeah, yeah totally exactly. I remember that as I remember, though, that was a revised date. He had a date previous. And he revised it after that, too, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah actually, he, he did. And um, they, a lot of people, you're right, because they really believed that it was the end times. And uh, temporarily, he had a global following. But then everything, everything fell apart. I mean, can you just imagine somebody that predicts that and then the day after has to face everybody and say, uh, gee, I made a error in the calculations yeah but he felt that there was a spiritual judgment that had occurred on that date and that the physical rapture would occur on october 21st that was the the date after that two years later he had a stroke and that was the end of him but uh his dire predictions about the end of the world actually had people in 2011 it had people going unreal um, May 22nd was World Goth Day, and in 1849, there's only been one president of the United States who actually had a patent for a, a, a device he invented, and believe it or not, it was Abraham Lincoln. They didn't find out about it until 1997, but he actually patented a Boeing device that lifted boats over the uh, obstructions in the river and he's the only only president to do so who would have thunk it right? mm-hmm. interesting yeah. did it ever get used do you know pardon did his device ever get used i don't really know he patented it and i think to some extent it probably did but because it's not ocean going and it doesn't <coughs> involve you know a, an awful lot of traffic he needed a fallback career just in case his president thing just in, yeah just in case yeah, he thought, i'll be president for a while till this thing takes <laughs> off <laughs> And May 24th, which is today, is National Patriots Day in Quebec and Queen Victoria's actual birthday in 1819. Now, going back to um, the uh, uh, Amelia Earhart, uh, there was a lovely British lady named Amy Johnson, and she was the first woman to fly solo from England to Australia, and she landed in Darwin, Northern Territory, and got that. She uh, went on to become um, an aviator in the Second World War and actually died during a during a mission there, but wow. she she married a, a pilot and had a really terrific run uh, and, and got a lot of um, publicity at the time, but today, you know, Amy Johnson is the name of half the girls in 
high schools across the country <laughs> rather than you know being lauded for, for who she was. And that, dear listeners, brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, and occasionally bizarre events and people that make up this day in history. Excellent. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you. And we'll be right back right after this. Interested in a particular topic? You ever wonder where we find all this information? The Common Sense Canadian is a forum for critical discussion of the key issues shaping our world today. Water, energy, food security, and how we manage our resources to the public benefit while preserving our environment. So go to commonsensecanadian.ca. It's uncommonly sensible. All right, we're back. So, guys, I know we do a lot of uh, crazy stories here on this podcast, but I thought I'd bring you guys one of the worst stories out there I've heard in a long time. You guys are ready for another brilliant moment? Uh, No. No? (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) But as ready as you'll ever be? Another brilliant moment brought to you by religion. The wacky world of religion. Did you guys hear about this Christian Nebraska woman who filed a lawsuit against the entire group of homosexuals in America? Yes, I did hear about that. And she put herself as a, as a her role as ambassador for the plaintiff, namely God and his son, Jesus Christ. She uh, just got thrown out of court. This was not ever brought to trial. <laughs> well, there we go. We could just skip it all along. You, you just sorry. did the whole bit there. <laughs> How many people do you need for a class action suit like this? Her, her, God, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. That's four she's representing. Is that a class action? I don't know if it was called a, classified as a class action. But anyway, her name is Sylvia Driscoll. She's 66. She filed her seven-page handwritten. You know, and you can actually wow. see it's all handwritten. It's actually nice and everything. Also, in the United States District Court of Omaha, asking the federal court to determine is homosexuality a sin or not a sin. The law, of course, her lawsuit quotes Leviticus. God tells his children in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination, and also Roman 1 and Genesis. And it concludes with these time-honored questions. Why are judges passing laws so sinners can break religious and moral laws? Will all the judges of this nation judge? Uh, will all the judges of this nation judge God to be a liar? Or for God has said that and all this unrighteousness is sin and that homosexuality is an abomination. Well, like you said, she's not going to have her day in court. What? No, but she probably feels satisfied that she did it. She got the word out, and I'm sure there are a lot of people in her church and a lot of friends that are congratulating her and saying, you know, the secular world, you know, will never get it. But thank you for, you know, taking our side and letting everybody know. Anyway, it was funny that no no uh, lawyer decided to <laughs> jump on that ship. <laughs> Didn't want to touch with a ten foot pole. So the judge um, John Gerard according to the Omaha World Herald, has dismissed her case without even hearing it. Uh, the United States Federal Court were created to resolve actual cases and controversies arising under the Constitution and the laws of the United States that uh, the judge wrote in his ruling. Uh, the Federal Court is not a forum for debate or discourse on theological matters. Yeah, I was going to say, I think she clearly believes that God's law is above human law. So why is she even taking it to court? Well, so it's clearly for publicity, just to, to get in there. You think so? 
I think so, for sure. Well, Why anyone who is that religious would not care about what the secular law says. They're going to say, well, God's law says this, and therefore God's law is right. Unless she wants a theocracy, in which case our you know, human law would be God's law. But okay. So she either is trying to force a theocracy or she's just trying to get publicity. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm kind of on the force, you know, for the theocracy yeah. part of it. Yeah, given the, the nature of most of the country at this point being so conservative and mm-hmm. uh, a, a lot of the, the lawsuits on same-sex marriage and so forth, I, th- I think she just had to get it out there. But the publicity sure don't hurt. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you call that publicity. She. She's made to look like a fool, really, more than anything else. But we're, we're talking, we're talking about, about it in Canada. Yeah. That's publicity. Whether or not okay. she looks like a fool, That's she's fair. gotten publicity. Because if there are people who agree with her who are hearing us or hearing anyone else, they don't have to care what we think, but they can agree. Right? You mean they don't care what the show thinks? He looks at me with a smile. No comment, he says. <laughs> Jeff, you were about to say something. No, I just, I just think... Trying to figure out what she was thinking might be an exercise in futility. Clearly a nut. So yeah, that's true enough. <laughs> well, you know uh, the, the the question I, I kind of want to raise with some of it uh, is um, the religious side of the coin is always on the offense, and uh, we always end up uh, being on defense. Um, mm. Should we be more proactive like this woman is? I mean, she's obviously. Very determined, and well, she, well, they do that, right? They the do it until they secular, secular, though. <laughs> yeah, but they they still fight until they get their way. They've always done that. Well, um, there's another uh, story in the news that kind of um, goes to what you're saying. There, uh, it's actually the Satanists who, um, in uh, I can't remember which state, but in in one state, there's a law that if a woman wants an abortion, she goes to the abortion clinic, and then they give her information, which is all religious-based, essentially. And then she has to go home and think about it for 72 hours. And then, if she still wants the abortion after 72 hours, they can give it to her. But um, in the past, it was 24 hours, and that went to court, and a judge ruled that that is not an undue inconvenience. However, 72 hours, three times as long, that may well be considered an inconvenience. So this woman... uh, I contacted the Satanist, and then she went to the abortion clinic and said, look, I I want, uh, according to my religion, which is Satanist, I need an abortion immediately. And she she quoted something from their text and whatever and said that my religion demands I get this now. And so now it's going to court. So it's it's a it's a law that the religious right put in for their own purposes, which is now being turned against them. Because (laughs) Satanists are a valid religion in the United States, and if they're going to have this law, then it has to be equal for everyone. So uh, I thought that was a very clever way of turning uh, a religious-based law against the the religious people who implemented it. i got to believe the 72 hours is going to expire before the court. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think you're right on that. I don't that. think there's any court that moves up. <laughs> but it was the principle behind it, I thought, was, mm-hmm. was a well thought out and, yeah. Well, and and that's really the thing whenever you say, well, I need this because my God says so, because you can just make up whatever you want, and it's just as legitimate as everyone else's, you know, religious excuse. So well, well, That's why I, I, I've always liked, and I've, I've never really got behind it, but I, I like the idea of the spaghetti monster. Yeah, religion. pastafarianism. Like, yeah, purely from a, a, a mocking sense, but you can go through all the exact same steps of any religion, mm-hmm. and... I bet from a legal standpoint, if you had enough people adhering to it and following it and standing up and maybe signing petitions or attending mm-hmm. uh, functions, I don't know how they could say that you couldn't do it. They can't. Based on the Charter, Canadian Charter of Rights. So 
that would be a really cool thing if you actually made a joke out of it and, and it was a real religion yeah. and they got tax exemption status and you, uh, you know, did things legally in the name of the spaghetti monster. And <laughs> that kind well, of stuff. you can have uh, your driver's license picture taken with a colander on your head. If no, you, you can't. Hey, there was he, a guy they wouldn't who did. let him. No, they wouldn't <clears throat> let him. He they, tried and they said no. Really? Yeah, yeah. No, hold on. I, I think he, I'm, I'm pretty I, sure I he think was, was able more than one guy, and I think well, one of them did, and I think the other one was refused for some reason. Yeah, okay, there may we'll have, have been one who did, it. but I know there was okay. one who was refused, and I was really angry because there's, mm-hmm. they can't justify well, that. Driving's provincial, right? So it yeah. might yeah. be different. Yeah, that's, the whole, yeah, that's true. The whole uh, Pacifarian thing started as uh, against uh, intelligent design, right? Because <laughs> they were saying, well, you need to have both. Uh, evolution and non-evolution taught because it's like two opposing things and so their doctrine is that gravity is just the spaghetti monster pushing down on everyone with his noodles so he said you need to (laughs) not only teach gravity but you need to teach flying spaghetti monster as well because it's two sides to the the story so yeah it was actually created in in the way you meant jeff like to to, uh make fun of the whole thing to show the errors of the christian right (laughs) nice Nice. Well, the Satanic Temple has been, uh, Lucian Graves has been doing an awful lot. They're the same mm-hmm. organization that got prayers to stop at uh, city council meetings yes. in mm-hmm. Florida. They, they act much more like an atheist group yes. than some of the atheists do. Yeah, I so he's, uh, I, I think their group is just fascinating. Yeah, and I, mm-hmm. I, Anytime you've got anything to report on them, I, it's it's great to get it out and give them the credit they deserve. They do deserve a lot of credit. They also are the ones who say, was that in Oklahoma where they were having, had religious, the Ten Commandments statue or something? And the Satanists said, okay, well, if you're going to do that, then yeah. we get to put up our put statue. Put a statue of Baphomet. Yeah. And, and so they got to put their statue up and then everyone freaked out. So then all the statues got taken down. So uh, actually, that was exactly what they wanted. In Oklahoma, if I remember correctly, that statue was actually taken down by a drunk driver. And he got, he, and it was a Christian guy, and he basically said, oh yeah, Satan made me do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> the, the United States, I'm telling you, that's why I always say, you know, they're two steps away from being a theocracy down there. They really are. Anyway, moving on. Um, we got some more adventures of Father Vern. Do you remember that? Let's, let's not have more adventures. <laughs> we do, sorry, even if you don't like them. Uh-oh. Oh, here it comes. And now it's time for another installment of The Adventures of Father Kern. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. My son, I am here to receive your confession for the Lord. I've been happily married for a while, but then I saw this young Catholic girl. <coughs> uh, wait a minute. Are you that Jewish fellow? Um, no, Father, I'm not. Okay, go ahead, my, then my son. Well, I, I met this woman, and uh, we almost had an affair. Oh, what is this lately with these affairs? My son, what do you mean, almost? Well, Father, um, we had a few drinks. Uh, we undressed each other. Kind of rubbed against each other, but then I lost my nerves and stopped. Yes, my son, you have sinned. And I bet you she was disappointed. Excuse me? Rubbing together is the same as putting it in. You're not to see that woman again. For your penance, save five Hail Marys and put $50 in the poor box. Thank you, Father. Help me pay for a t- 
ticket I got last time. My son, I see that you haven't put any money in the poor box. Are you not repenting? Well, Father, I rubbed $50 on the box, and according to you, rubbing is the same as putting it in. Join us next time for more adventures with Father Hearn. Well, that was Father Hearn. I liked it. Oh, I'm glad you like it. Well, it's somebody who likes those. Very creative. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here we have a choice. We can go with the interview with him and Meta, the friendly atheist, and uh, we can, or we can go into this discussion about Diplomat versus Firebrand. What do you guys think? Well, let's do the discussion. Let's discuss. I agree. Okay, let's discuss. Put down some music. Here. All right, so. I think it's quite obvious that a lot of people are comfortable with being uh, either the uh, firebrand or diplomat. I don't know. Would you, would you, what would you qualify yourself as? Do you think you're a firebrand if we go around? I'm definitely a diplomat. You're definitely a diplomat. Jeff, what do you think? I, I think the word firebrand might be a little too strong, but I'd have to be putting myself closer to that side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a diplomat. You're a diplomat? I'm a firebrand on the inside and a diplomat on the outside. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well played. I, 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 I agree, agree with that. that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of people, I think if if I asked you guys what you thought about me, right away you'd say I'm a firebrand. Yes. But I'm actually way more diplomatic than you guys think. But I'll be able to prove, and I think I've proven that in the past, if you've noticed I, some of the I think it's also worth pointing out that being a firebrand doesn't just mean, like, yelling. You, you can still, you know, use diplomatic tactics and, and talk logically, but it's it's more of a, like, do you do this with a lot of passion or are you more detached? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think also, it, 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 the firebrand doesn't necessarily mean you're yelling and screaming, but you're actually doing something. There's a lot of people that might completely align with the firebrand, uh, you know, individual's thought processes, but actually not do anything. So I think that's the mm-hmm. distinction that, that is, is mm-hmm. worth making, too. Not that, just that's how you get your message across, but do you get a message across, or do you just mm-hmm. stand on the sidelines and listen? I, yeah, I think and that, that's if, the biggest if you're, point. if you're saying that you're a diplomat, then you are implying that you're doing something, though. Yeah. It's not an active versus passive, passive it's a anger versus calm, more... Well, yeah. Well, it's more the approach, right? Yeah. It's more yeah. in your face versus yeah. more a Socratic method. Mm-hmm. But but we're assuming that we are doing something. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I, I consider myself a diplomat, but I do do things. I do have conversations with people. I write letters. Mm-hmm. I protest. I you know I'm not just sitting around. But but I'm also trying to be tactful, and um, I guess that's my my thing. Mm-hmm. We're more tact um, um, than. I don't know. <laughs> Not so much I in your face. I put my foot in my mouth if I say more here. <laughs> I think it depends on the situation, too. I mean, there are things that you become more passionate about and you become frustrated yes. if you don't see any progress mm. and if, or if people don't get it. And then, you know, yeah. the diplomacy tends to slide a little bit <laughs> and, and you want to get the message across mm-hmm. and then... So you can you can use you know as Liam was, was saying earlier tactics. you can use yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, it, is it fair to say that you know it really depends on the individual the approach that we have in mm-hmm. general you know there are yeah. some people that are firebrand all the time you do, for Aaron Raw for example he's pretty much firebrand all mm-hmm. the time uh, or, or Hitchens the, was 
Yeah. Get your boy out. Well, I, to Nancy's point, like I'm, I try to be diplomatic when I'm discussing things with atheists. But when I get in, sometimes when I get in a conversation about feminism with someone who, like you said, Nancy, just is not getting it or not listening, then I get very frustrated and I tend to be a firebrand. Yeah, which is, I don't uh, think firebrand is strong enough <laughs> to describe you as feminism. But on the I other think hand, plasma cutter jet. As you <laughs> and Liam right are there. both very happy to point out, that is not effective. That is when I lose my effectiveness. And uh, and I just tend to get very emotional, and my argument gets lost in the mm-hmm. emotion. So, so I do see the difference in myself, mm-hmm. and and I think that mm-hmm. um, it just depends on the circumstances with me. I, th- I think it does with with most people, you know, to to one degree or, or or the other. They may not be extreme, but they can pull pull different tactics out whatever mm-hmm. it needs to if if they're rational human beings, <laughs> which we all are. Is there, is there maybe uh, maybe that firebrand uh, tactics can be used as a shocking people into paying attention and then well, maybe using diplomacy? I, I think also depending on who your target audience is, certain people will be uh, swayed by different tactics, right? So there there are some people who that shock will definitely you know change how they think maybe, but there are others who will just be completely turned away by that. So I think you need both because not everyone that you're trying to address is identical. So you know different people will you know have a different reaction to your different tactics. Right? What do you think, Jeff? Yeah, well, I, I think I think the fact that you need a lot of different people, a lot of different styles, is is represented in what we see of of our leaders. If you look at people like. You know, the, the late Hitchens and Dawkins and Dennett and, and Sam Harris, and Dan Barker, these guys are all completely different in their style and their approach. And not only their style and their approach, but actually the information that they get across. You know, um, Dawkins is talking from a scientific, from a biological standpoint. Dennett is talking from a philosophical standpoint. Harris comes at it from a, from a neurological standpoint and a logical mm-hmm. standpoint. So these guys all approach mm-hmm. from different sides. I, I'm I'm sort of re- reminded though, um, and I you know in my experience I've tried all those strategies with people, and for the most part they're all ineffective, and I think it depends on who you're talking to, and I and I, I sort of I think back to what Peter Bogosian said. I think he said you can't change a person's mind um, with facts on an idea that they never arrived at on fact. Yeah. Yeah. So his strategy I think is it resonates with me. That's, you mentioned the Socratic method. That that idea. Um, and I guess so it really depends on who your audience is. Yeah. yeah. Well, I really like Bogosian's thing because he says, don't make it about what they believe, make it about why they believe it. Right. Yeah, I think I think if we're talking about strategies um, to, to change people's minds, I think that's one of the things that most of us don't think about is that if we're just trying to change their mind on this issue of God or no God we still have to fill the void of what they're going to lose if they if they make mm-hmm. that transition. The idea of community, the idea of mm-hmm. life after death, the idea of now they don't get to see grandma, all these sorts of ideas. I think you have to sort of replace that for people because mm-hmm. there's people that I know of, they're good Christians, and they're smart, and they don't want to listen to me because they're scared that I'll change their mind. They know that I'll change their mind. So they're like, la, 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 mm-hmm. I'm not listening. So... There's people that are really fearful of, of what they lose when they change their mind. You sure they're just not afraid you're going to punch their lights out? <laughs> yeah, that's, no. that's an excellent point, and I think that, that yeah, we don't really think about that generally. There, there there have been organizations that come up with these secular churches so that they create the singing and they create the community and they create the Sunday, you know, what do you do on Sunday if you're not mowing your lawn? Um, <laughs> Saturday. <laughs> But, yeah, you're right. Like I've read different studies that um, 
you know, Christians, people who attend church regularly tend to have longer and more fulfilled lives and all that. But it's not the church. It's the community. It's well, the sense of it, community it and people. the church. It's not the religion part, Yes, though. that's it's right. The it's the community, the community that belongs yeah. to that. And we don't, as atheists, don't have anything to fill that void, like you said, unless you're talking about the atheist churches. And you can go to other things like your painting group or your knitting group or whatever, but those still are not going to be people who have the same mindset as you, like the people at your church have. And so we, yeah, we... When you give that up, if you give up your religion, you do give up all that community. Very often those people won't speak to you anymore. If they do, it's certainly not going to be in the same way. So, yeah, you, it's a huge void in your life that, you, that yeah, has to be filled with something. So that's yeah, I guess point. that's why the uh, North Texas uh, Church of Free Thought has been so valuable there because so many people in that area are coming from a very conservative Baptist background, and when they gave up those beliefs, they were lost. And so the idea of a real church, less the God, has been enormously helpful mm-hmm. you know, in bringing that sense of community to people who really needed it because they gave up a lot mm-hmm. to to continue you know, their, their beliefs. So is this really a fight of truth versus comfort? Is Firebrand versus Diplomat really truth versus comfort? I, I don't I don't know if you could narrow it down that much because um, one thing that I always think about w- with atheists is if I don't believe that there is a God, but I believe that for ludicrous reasons, um, then I'm not any better, really, than someone who believes that there is a God for equally ludicrous reasons. You, you need to th- be thinking logically and rationally and, and coming to decisions because they're true and not simply, you know, based on your faith or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I think really it is about the logic of it and, and whether or not it's true and what conclusion you draw doesn't matter so much, you know? Well, I like, could tell that Peter Bergoglian had a big influence on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's right, I think. Yeah, right? I, I totally agree with that. Um, speaking of uh, Diplomat and, uh, and Firebrand, we actually finally got David Smalley. We finally did interview him, and we'll finally bring that to you guys. Yeah, a couple of shows from now. Interesting discussion. Well, I think the the firebrand when you when you think about a group of people that are oppressed for one reason or the other, um, you think of, of a, a firebrand like Madeline Murray O'Hare or Cesar Chavez coming to the forefront to lead them and to give them the bravery that they need to turn them mm-hmm. into smaller firebrands uh, and mm-hmm. be brave enough to follow. Um, the question is when you when you have a firebrand as as your group leader and you begin to have some progress and some social standing. Can that firebrand use the diplomacy to move that group along or not? Mm-hmm. And some of them can and some of them can't. Madeline Murray O'Hare was never able to, to make that transition. It wasn't in her <coughs> to be a diplomat, but she was extremely effective. She was I think Cesar Chavez was able to, to mm-hmm. be more of a, of a diplomat. So it's interesting, the circumstances mm-hmm. under which they, they come mm-hmm. and then how they adjust, I think, is fascinating. The, the thing you know, I'm, I'm always reminded of whenever this this fight happens is if you look at other groups that had to fight for the rights nobody ever got their rights and I hate to say this by being nice I know we, everybody wants to be nice and everybody wants to make friends but really you know whether it's the gays or uh, any other group that demanded their rights before they had to fight to get them <clears throat> they never went you know hello sir can we please have this discussion no they had to put it in their face and they had to do it loud enough until they got those but I, I would point out Getting your rights and convincing people are different, right? Because in the case of, 
you know, we we could use atheism if I want to be recognized by the government in the same way that religions are, or I want, you know, secular this or that. That is something you'd be a firebrand about because you're just trying to show that you're just as valuable as everyone else, that you have the same rights. But if I'm trying to convince you that your god doesn't actually exist, being angry and firebrand about it is probably just going to turn you away. So the tactic you use depends a lot on what you're trying to accomplish. On the, on the right? objective, the goal. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think another thing that uh, that I was thinking about earlier, and, and this may not be completely captured in the in the title, but um, you know, diplomat versus firebrand is is talking about approach. Um, but I think another thing that to add to this would be activist or just you know inactivist. Inactivist, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and I think that that has a lot to to, to, to think about as well because mm-hmm. I mean, just look in Abbotsford. Uh, what's the population of Abbotsford? Hundred thousand? Oh no, it's more like hundred forty. Hundred forty thousand. So. The last polls that were done, BC has an average of 30% or 35, let's just say 30% of people that, recognize, that, that um, identify as uh, atheist or secular. So 30% of 140,000 is what, 42,000? Yes. There's, there's a that. lot of people here in this town, and we get like, you know, 10 people out to our meetings. And everybody knows who we are, but nobody's interested. Like, there's a lot of people that agree with us, but nobody, nobody comes to meetings, nobody does anything. So I think that's a bigger issue to think about mm-hmm. is is people that are on our side that agree with us that could care less. Yeah. I w- I've often wondered about that. Like <coughs> I think when you have um like even like the atheists in Texas or people who uh are really feel like the enemies at their door, then they fight really hard. They fight to maintain their identity or to get their rights. But when you kind of can you your life is pretty comfortable and you don't feel kind of immediately threatened it's just easier to not deal with it, to just pretend there's not a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe, that's, maybe that's the issue, is that we don't have the same threats that exist in the U.S. I mean, there's soft threats up here. I mean, I know, uh, I, you know, I've spoken to my children's biology teacher, and they think Darwin's full of crap, and they're, they're creationists, and they're uh-huh. teaching biology to my child. And I think that's a huge threat. But it scares the heck out of me, but I, I, you know, I keep asking them, what are they telling you? And th- they actually don't bring up the creationism um, as part of the lecture, but you can just tell they sort of mock and and scoff at the curriculum. Well, I've got to teach you this, so blah blah. Uh, blah. Little subtle things like that that mm-hmm. my children pick up on, but it, it would be hard to indict the professor yeah. on something like that. But um, it's all sort of soft. It's not as mm-hmm. not as uh, out there as in the states, you know. Yeah, but but the problem is, if that kind of thing is allowed to continue and mushroom, then we will have the same problem. It's much easier to stop the problem before it's a big problem. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well. Well, as you stated before, we've got more slacktivists than activists in, <laughs> in this area. Yeah, yeah, and, and it is a tactic. It's been the tactic lately of the religious right to do these kind of things. A bit like uh, Liam's story about the, uh, the 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 prayer before uh, at prom or before the meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've. David Smalley on one of his podcasts was telling the exact same thing. They never said prayer when you looked at the list of what they were doing, but it said remark by a student. And it was it was a prayer hidden as that, and this guy's yeah. that. And then, of course, they'll just play, well, oh, well, we didn't know. Yeah, that's, blah, blah, blah. I, was, I was told, oh, well, I should have read over his script, but I didn't, so I didn't know. Exactly, that exactly. And it, it said, like, um, remarks by whatever student. It's like, hard not to be cynical when you we know they're doing this. We uh, like uh, they won't they won't bring creationism in science because it's too tough a battle. But they'll bring the Bible and literature in English to try. That's to study not that. necessarily illegitimate, but 
Like, like we read excerpts from the Bible in literature class, but it was important because the works we did after that had direct reference to the Bible, yeah. and if you hadn't read part of the Bible, then you wouldn't get it. Well, if you're um, in Canada, but I mean yeah. in the States... It's, well, yeah, if, if it, it was taught in its entirety, then that would be an issue, but it's not necessarily legitimate. Well, you know, like these things happen. Remember, the creationists were invited by our counselors. With our money, taxpayer money, they were invited to the AgriFair, which is a mm-hmm. public event in Abbotsford, and these guys were teaching that, you know, humans rode around on dinosaurs with saddles. I mean, that's that's what was done. ludicrous. Yeah, 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 and that's frustrating, and you're right, we should be, we should be, and you do, I know you're very active, but everyone should be fighting against this, like, and and it, it offends me on many levels, because there's a huge population in this area that is not white Christian, you know, there's people from all over the world, so those people are also getting their rights trampled on. Well, the Sikh, the Sikh and Hindu population is, is huge. In this yeah, country. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so why are we still imposing, not us personally, but you know, the white people in council imposing their outdated religious views on this entire population, of which they are likely a minority, certainly not a large majority, if they still are. Well, this is democracy at, at play because all the people that are elected are conservative Christians. I, I, except for maybe one, there's a Sikh woman on the board or on the council. This is in Abbotsford. Yeah, I'm talking Abbotsford. Um, I don't know exactly the makeup of our of our um, uh, what do you call it? The folks in charge of the the uh, um, education school the, trustees. School the trustees. trustees. Sorry, lost that. The trustees were all there was like I think five of them, all conservative Christians. So you know what side of the argument they're going to fall on. There was that one issue with. Um, uh, Social Justice 11, and it was a, a basically a, a grade 11 and 12 um, BC curriculum course that was teaching tolerance, yes. not just of any one group. It spoke of tolerance of um, handicapped people, spoke of tolerance of uh, people of different sexual orientation, uh, different uh, nationalities, all these different types of people that make up our community. We should be tolerant of them. It didn't tell you what to think of them, just be open to their different ideas and things like that. And because one of the parts was tolerant of um, different sexual orientation, our school trustees did not allow that in Abbotsford for years and years and years. And I, think, I think that's the, the real problem with religion. I mean, of course, to see the in God we trust on the money, that's a minor detail. Yeah. It's the everyday little bullshit thing like that that actually creates a bigger problem for all of us. And I think uh, uh, atheists on the front lines, we see that. And I think a lot of uh, atheists out there, they're kind of, like you said, slacktivists. They don't. They don't see it. Well, this is a this is I I think about it from a, an economic standpoint too. It sort of bothers me in the sense that this is a British Columbia a provincial curriculum course that was paid for and put together with our tax dollars, mm-hmm. and I think it's good content that I'd like my children to be exposed to, and so do they. But seven people say they can't have it. I can't give my children what I paid for. It's, it's to me, it's ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Well, if they are offering the course, then they are obligated to stick to the curriculum. So if it's a biology class, for instance, and you think that it, evolution is not being addressed fully, then you can absolutely complain about that. And and the curriculum are all online. And actually, in the Bio 11 one, there is a bit where you have to explain evolution. And not only that, but you need to address that it might be in conflict with people's views. Oh, I but read that that doesn't make evolution wrong and that you still have to teach it. No, I read I read the, the 11-12 biology curriculum and it's, it has wording in there that says, and it's the wording to the teacher. And it says, just be aware that some of these, some of this material may 
and I can't remember the exact word, something along the lines of offend certain students, so be sensitive. That's, that's all it says. It doesn't say anything about teaching creationism. But my, my point was is that other course was not being accepted. It wasn't in, offered at all. It wasn't offered at all because oh, it, wow. was a, it, was, it wasn't offered in our school district, the school district that our trustees in Abbotsford control, whatever that number is. I don't know the number of it. But um, they weren't allowing it to be taught in our district, even though it was a provincial curriculum. Now, that's since been changed, but... Abbotsford was the last district to come online with that, and it was because that's, of our conservative really school trustees. Well, it, at, least it, at least it happened. One of the, the small victories I don't think we've talked about on, on, on the program for a little bit is that um, Chilliwack finally gave up distributing Bibles in the yes. fifth grade, and even though they said they did it last semester, I think the fact that... Um, CFI uh, um, Center for Inquiry yeah for inquiry Center for Inquiry plus a number of good activist letters sent to the newspaper uh, made sure that this isn't going to happen again and I think but I'm not positive it also um, eliminated suggesting that in the newsletter that went out to parents mm-hmm. saying that the children if the children requested it through the newsletter that they they still would be given a Bible. I think they stopped that as well. So to, to that wasn't firebrand. It wasn't exactly well, diplomacy. But what would you call that tactic? Well, I, I you know I don't know because you know I was firebrand on this because yes, I was actually were. interviewed by the newspaper in Chilliwack for it, and I went all guns blazing on them, and I sent them a letter as to to which I received a non-reply saying, "Oh, we'll reply to you," but they never did, and then they quietly, like you said, made the change. So was was the firebrand. Many many people sent letters. Yes, to many, of course. Many I'm not saying I'm not saying I, I changed her mind here, but I'm well, saying you know. I think I think it was actually all of it because it was in the paper, and there was a lot of people who were clearly not happy. A lot of people wrote a lot of letters, and so I think it was just because, like you said, Jeff, like it, people didn't let it slide. The people were active and vocal about it, and they realized that they couldn't slip it through, and so they made a change. I personally think that next year they will try to slip it through again, and that everyone will have to make a fuss again. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah. But the the point is that everyone was aware of it, and well, there was a wide variety of tactics, but they couldn't just ignore it. So. I think that's absolutely the case. There's a lot of things that uh, people know they shouldn't be doing and can't really get away with, like the prayer before prom. But if no one says anything, they keep doing it until mm-hmm. someone does, right? Mm-hmm. So just being vocal and, and standing up for that it's wrong can get you results. And that and itself is the biggest lesson here. Mm-hmm. It's 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 uh, like Jeff said. It's about being active and saying something, uh, whether you're a firebrand or a diplomat, makes little difference. It's whether you actually do something about it or not that actually pays off. And that was your experience with the giant nativity scene in Abbotsford, too, wasn't it? You you wrote a couple letters and then it was gone. Yeah, that was that was relatively easy. But again, you you had to stand up and and take yeah you know, take exactly. the initiative. You have to do yeah. yeah, yeah, you have to do something. Um, you know, I don't know if this is something that you guys think about. I think we're all pretty similar as we're sitting here at this table talking about these things. Um, in terms of our activism, um, but a lot of people that I'm close with have the same sort of thought process as I do on, on the world, but think I'm crazy about all these activities that I yeah. get involved in. And that sort of bothers me in the mm-hmm. sense that, you know, you, you'll talk to a mom and you'll say, well, do you want your children, you know, being taught creationism? Well, no, of course not. Well, how do you think, who's going to stop that? So mm-hmm. they'll criticize you for your activism, like, why can't you just take it, you know, take it easy, relax, it's no big deal. But there are things that they would care about, and I ask, well, who's going to do that? Mm-hmm. Somebody yeah. needs well, to do that. Yeah. After I got up and, and made my 
commented prom, I was asked, like, well, why does it matter? Why did you do that? You know, and, and I just said, well, it's it's an equality thing. Like, it, this was not representative of our entire grad class. It shouldn't happen. And it, it ended there. But there are certainly people who kind of agree with the, the atheist ideals but don't want to do anything, don't want to get in anyone's way, and think it's easier just to let it's, it slide. It's such know? a Canadian thing. Huh? Don't rock the boat too much, right? Well, that's a human nature thing. Let's be honest. Well, I think Canadians humans, are really good at it. Canadians are probably further down the scale, but most humans are non-confrontational. <laughs> they don't want to fight. They don't want to argue. They don't want to cause trouble. They, they, you know, that whole idea. So when you're out there having that conversation, you're rocking the boat a little bit, and you're in a situation <laughs> where there's tension, and you're going to have to stand up for yourself, and most people don't like yeah, that. people are afraid of that. No, but fortunately in every generation, even though there are overwhelming numbers of people who are don't care or are afraid to speak up or slacktivists, however you want to put them, there are always some of us, and I, and I say that because I'm, it's true not to, not to brag on myself, but there are always some of us who either through diplomacy or being a firebrand show up to <clears> let <throat> the other people know you cannot do this, it's not representative of the democracy, it's not representative mm -hmm. of, of the human aspect, it's not representative of how people should be. And we act as a conscience, and you need people. And even though you think that there are more people who are going to sit back, somewhere someone rises up and says, enough. Mm -hmm. And we just don't know what that level is, but enough people do rise up to keep things moving along in a, in a much more humane way, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and that's good. But there are always a, a, a majority who are going to sit back and, and just wait. I had, oh, sorry. Um, I was talking to someone last night. This is a, it, not, it was an environmental issue that he'd been dealing with uh, the Mission Council with it 10 years ago. And he'd been fighting and fighting, and he said they actually got laughed out of the council meeting. They were told they're environmental freaks, and, and they didn't know what they were talking about, even though they did have all their facts. And um, and now, 10 years later, council has adopted the, the practices that they had recommended then. And it and that was a good lesson to me because I'm very impatient, so I hate to have to wait. No. But but they were very persistent, and they eventually won their battle. I you know it took a long time, but but uh, if they hadn't said something in the first place, you know that that would never have happened. So let's have a hypothetical situation here. Uh, we're a bit early, but somewhere around November we have Remembrance Day. Remembrance Day is one of those sacred cows for Canadians, right? Remembrance Day is a huge deal for me. So it, it is. It is I, a I huge think it's deal. important. It is a huge deal. And, you know, everybody, you know, pays their respect. And then mm -hmm. I'm sure everyone here does the same thing. Um, last year, I, I was quick to remark that in Remembrance Day, um, first of all, you have a lot of soldiers that are dead, and some that are still alive, and they're not Christians. But the ceremony, you know, that everybody is kind of very reverent about is nothing but Christianity. Now... If somebody was to take on that sacred cow, would a diplomatic way work, or would a firebrand approach be more? I think that because it's it's such a sensitive issue, you would probably be better off being diplomatic, honestly, because I think if you go in very firebrand about that, then people could very easily twist that to be like, oh, you aren't respecting these dead soldiers, oh, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. I think your tactic would have to be this ceremony is disrespecting the dead soldiers. Remembrance Day is this big thing, you've got to honor it, and you are not. You're screwing with this. So you'd need to kind of diplomatically demonize the existing ceremony, I think. Okay, fair enough. But I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate for half a second say, and say, you know what, the, the people that are usually in charge, uh, the, the legion and all that, they're usually 
seniors, veterans, and elders. I hate to say it, but almost set in their ways, and well, you know, they I, don't want to change that. I think you'd be very unlikely to change those people, and you'd have to change the ceremony by circumventing them. Um, How would you do that? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, my father is, is an atheist, but he is a, a staunch patriot, and he was a military guy, and he's a he's strong on anything traditional, any traditions. He would fight tooth and nail change anything regardless of religious content he would not he would want it to stay and that's because he's traditional and he would he would just want it to be the way it was so i think you'd have even fight you'd have fight on your hands from some of the people that were on our side on that issue hmm. i think you'd have a huge fight that's yeah. an interesting point yeah yeah and you know i i don't know i, I think i think personally i i'm not sure about this i think the dipl- the diplomatic uh issue would work well with Maybe like the city council, but I, you know, I'm, I'm clearly clearly at a loss here. I'm not sure well, how I would think about this. Nancy, you got any words of wisdom for us? No. <laughs> as our as our uh, history buff and the history, my, I've, I've I've depleted my words of wisdom for one day. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna start building some up. So yeah, I'll think of some good ones for next. Time, so. <laughs> I, I defer to the to the rest of you. I I also think that those ceremonies will evolve with time, and it, it sounds kind of mor- morbid, but like as all the veterans die, it will evolve too, because yeah, there I don't think anyone wants to tread on their toes, and and that's perfectly all right because yeah, you know, there there are kind of as you said, set in their ways and old, and I think you'd be unlikely to get some antique veteran to a. Uh, yeah, but they're completely <laughs> abandoned there. Which is so ironic because if, if there's one thing that soldiers do very well is stick together, and yet you have yeah, on that the very why, on the yeah, but on the very stage where they they're sticking together, you have people like like soldiers that are obviously Sikh, you know, and they're carrying the flag and everything, and they think how disrespectful for this guy, you know, mm-hmm. that the, all the hymns are about Jesus and, and saving and, and whatever, and he's clearly not buying any of it, but he has to face that every time. And I'm thinking, you know, as if I was to ask another soldier individually, do you think this is right? You know, this is this is a, a, a comrade in arms that he's clearly not Christian. Do you think a lot of times people just read the words and sing the songs, but don't even listen to what they're saying? And I, I'm reminded of Christmas tunes. Mm-hmm. I'm huge on Christmas. I love to sing all the songs. Holy Night, you know, all these different songs... I'm sure you got a great singing voice. <laughs> I don't even listen to the words. I don't even know what I'm singing. Like I, I, I don't associate anything religious with any of those songs. Yet they're probably other than Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. They're probably Very all religious, religious yeah. right? Yeah, every well, single one. Maybe, maybe not you, but I will bet that Sikh soldier. I'll bet you he notices. No, if they. God save the queen. Uh, yeah, God save the same queen that oppressed our nation for over a hundred years and plundered all our resources. And like I, that must be to me yeah, the for, huge sticking point. Uh, or for Indian people. Is that the Sex Pistols version? <laughs> 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 well, I don't know. Would it, would it take having representatives at the ceremony of different religions and non-religions to well, say I, a, a few words? Would I, that make any difference? You could have a ceremony without all of the. Christian songs. Yeah, it could so be sure. totally secular. They, right? they do have sure. secular content already. So I'll just read the Hollow Men. You know, all those, those anti-religion <laughs> well, well, poetry that came out of the war. Some Wilfred Owen stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if, if what Kevin said is, is pretty accurate in the sense of. What do you, you mean? Might, you wonder? 
Well, I'm just wondering. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I often wonder about you, Kevin. Um, it, when this generation is gone, uh, at the risk of being morbid, are you going to see maybe a drastic shift in, in things? You know, that's like cause yeah. we're not far away. From, I mean, we're not far away from having no living members that yeah. served at any of these ceremonies anymore. We're, we're, there's a handful well, of these guys. Well, we, we, and I, I think our approaches to the wars might change when we're not afraid of being disrespectful to anyone. Um, because, like, the First yeah. World War, for instance, it kind of offends me when they say that we were, like, fighting for freedom in the First World War. Because it was just, like, a, a giant fight over land, and, and there was no, like, oh, getting the bad guys or anything. It was it was just a brawl. Yeah. So I think when you're not afraid of telling anyone who very much has to believe that it was an important fight, because otherwise they'll just be completely destroyed by the trauma, when, when those people are gone, we can, I think, be a bit more open about it, right? Brings you back to what I was saying, you know, it's truth versus comfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel we got to get past this thing, this idea of offending everybody, this fear of offending people. It really bothers mm-hmm. me. Like, Thank it, you. It, you know, I mean, since when do I have a right to not be offended? Like, I don't understand that. And mm-hmm. and if you're going to try to stifle people's free speech with that in mind, then I think you're, we're, we're doing free speech a real disservice. Mm-hmm. And that's also very, very Canadian, uh, you know. This this may be an unfair uh, argument to bring up, but it's a strong example that that I think is important. This idea of respecting Muslims, um, and there's always this thing that respect is always underpinned by fear that someone's going to kill you. But and I know that might be just a minority, but it's always there uh, with a lot of these papers that won't print stories because why? Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of wanting to respect their religion because that's very Canadian, but a lot of these folks are very supportive of things like Sharia law, which Sharia law has a lot of things that are against a lot of things that we believe in, i.e. Uh, fair and equal treatment of the sexes and things like that. So, you know, we want to be open and, and, mm-hmm. and tolerant of these uh, other ideas, but some of the ideas that they hold are completely contrary to ours. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's being disrespectful to say, you know, we welcome mm-hmm. you people into our community, but those ideas are not welcome into mm-hmm. our community. Mm-hmm. So. But you're welcome, but with those ideas... That, that uh, yeah, with, I agree with that. I, I agree with that, but I also find it interesting because there are, in the Bible, a great number of things that we don't agree with on, from a moral standpoint, from a <coughs> equal treatment of the sexes and all the rest. So I think it, it's not only to say, you know, perhaps to a Muslim person, you're welcome, but leave those ideas, but you should be saying that to everyone who has their you know, religion. Well, Christians should get that. Yeah, right? we say that We we say that with the same-sex issue. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's the one that sort of... We, we can go after Christianity with that because they use that... Bible to underpin those uh, ideas of discrimination, whereas you know the, the secular people would fight that. And I think that's an interesting point because I think part of the reason why um, maybe Muslims get more, uh, oh, we don't want to offend them, it's because we don't want to be perceived as being racist. Yeah. And we don't have any problem. I personally had no problem talking to a white person about you need to ex- respect gay rights and, and equal rights for all mm. for both sexes and all of that. I don't have a problem saying that to a white person, but if I say it to someone who's a clearly a visible minority, I'm afraid that then they're going to say, oh, you're racist, well, even though it has nothing to do with race. It's a ridiculous <laughs> distinction. You can be a white Muslim. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know that, but I, I just but think that I, that's I think part that of the reason a, why a people feature, are so yeah. hesitant. I totally agree, and it's but it's bogus. It's I, it is bogus. It is bogus. Because the, the religion are ideas. It has nothing to do with race or yeah. where you're born or the color yeah, of your no, skin I, or the and DNA in your body. It's, it's just a crazy idea that we're attacking. So Or uh, disagreeing. Perfect. Well, sorry, guys. I got to... Put in the game, so a buzzer here.
Thank okay. you so much for the conversation. I was like, whoa, is my phone going on? No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for the conversation. But we also have this uh, interview with Hemet Mehta. We We've gotta play on. Been cut off. Times. <laughs> no, we'll have some more. We'll have some more. But you know, I'm looking at the clock here, and it's we gotta get firebrand. <laughs> totally is firebrand producer. Yeah. Anyway, a couple of weeks ago, we caught up with uh, the friendly atheist Hemet Mehta. And uh, it was a uh, he was brought by the uh, BC Humanist. Uh, we caught him in Vancouver, and you, you guys were all there. But uh, Karen and I took him aside and had an interview with him. I'm going to play that right away. Oops. Oh, we're here with. Well, go ahead, introduce yourself. Hemant Meta from FriendlyAtheist.com. Friendly Atheist Podcast. We're Everybody happy should follow. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Welcome to Canada. Absolutely. You said you were raised in Illinois? Yeah. And you said you didn't go to church as a child? No. So I was raised in a religion called Jainism. So J-A-I-N. It's a very nonviolent religion, which is great. Like, by definition, it's nonviolent. Um, but they believe in heaven and hell and karma and the afterlife. And when I finally started asking myself about those things, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason I left. Like, I'm still vegetarian. My parents are still very devout. But uh, that's why I stopped. But yeah, I never went to church growing up because I never. I, w- I went to the temple a few times, mm-hmm. but never any of the churches my friends went to. Oh, so you were were you an anomaly then? For pretty much, yeah. yeah. But again, I think they were just like, oh, he's one of those Indian religions. Uh, I see. So whatever, we don't know anything about it, but we weren't expected to. So I don't think anyone cared. I never felt like anyone was like looking at me weirdly because of it. See. So it was all right. And do you think if you'd said, I'm an atheist, they would have looked at you? Yeah, I think, uh, I I lived in Tennessee for a couple of years, and I think there, for sure, but I wasn't an atheist at the time. Um, In high school, I mean, I don't know what the reaction, I feel like knowing my friends, I would have been okay, Mm -hmm. knowing who I was hanging around with, but but I didn't really come out to anyone until, like, Mm -hmm. a year later, and even then, it was just a close friend, Mm because I didn't know what the reaction would be, Mm -hmm. but I did end up finding, like, one friend who ended up being an atheist, too. I'm like, I didn't know that about her. That's awesome. So uh, I've heard that a lot, too. People who say they finally come out as atheists, you end up, like, telling someone, and you find out, oh, they were atheists, too, this whole time. Like, I shouldn't have been worried. Mm-hmm. It seems that coming out as an atheist helps others. To come oh, out. yeah, for yeah. sure, because it's like, oh, that person's an atheist, too. I can talk to them about this stuff. Mm-hmm. I've had students come up to me when I was teaching mm-hmm. who, who knew what I did outside of school, and they would very much, like, they'd just come up like, I don't believe in God either. Like, <laughs> oh, that's like, go do your homework. I don't care. Like, I don't care. But but that's, they would not say that to their other teachers, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, and I'm still coaching a team there. So they still know what I do outside. I've had kids who are super religious, but I think they know I'm like, I'm not there to judge them. I'm not there to debate them. Mm. Um, and I have kids who are atheists, too, who feel very comfortable telling me everything <laughs> they want to tell me about religion, which is not my place, and that's not where I want to debate it. But it's it's because they know I'm open about it. So mm. it changes the dynamic a little bit. Well, that uh, kind of leads me to my next question. We interviewed uh, Christopher DiCarlo last week, yeah. know, and he is in based in Toronto, and he started a, a critical thinking program for students in high school. That's so awesome. How do you feel that would tie into atheism? you think that would kind of uh, encourage students to be more open about it or at least get a dialogue going? Yeah, I think you would get the dialogue going for sure. I'm trying to think of what that would look like. But again, hopefully any critical thinking class is teaching kids how to ask questions, how to not assume that everything they think is true is true. Like, they're taught, like, oh, even if you're an atheist, by the way, we can poke some holes in your logic, too. I hope people do that. I think a lot of atheists 
are, are just thinking, well, I solved the religion thing, mm. so I must be right about everything. And then they stop asking yeah, questions because we all know atheists were dumb who <laughs> <We'll> believe silly <laughs> things. Yes. And it, you realize, like, they're not applying the same stuff they did when they were religious. All those questions they asked, all the bubbles they were willing to pop kind of in their head, they're not doing that anymore. So, I mean, it's going to be good for everybody, I, even if they stay religious. I don't care. Actually, we had something very similar with Peter Bergogian as well. Yeah. When we yeah, Peter loves asking questions. Oh, to get to the heart of how do you, why do you think yeah. this way? Yeah. Boy, does he ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what is your feeling with the teachers and principals who are, who are sort of telling these kids to be quiet and saying you shouldn't be an atheist? Do you think yeah. they are doing that a lot out of fear of for their own religion or just out of ignorance about how alienating it is for students? Almost always ignorance. I mean, I, it's very hard to meet a principal or a teacher who doesn't have the best interests of the kids at heart. I will give them that. Um, but if they hear, I mean, they either think this kid's headed down the wrong path and they want to stop it because they don't know any better because they were raised in the same bubble too, or they are just fully ignorant of the law. And they, like, if a kid wants to start an atheist club, they'll just like, oh, you should come. Uh, if you can't find a faculty sponsor, you can't have it. And it's hard to find a faculty sponsor because mm-hmm. um, who are you going to ask? But that's illegal. Like, they can't do that. But they've never experienced this before. This is not something they're taught as they're going through their schooling and stuff. So. Um, a lot of times it's ignorance, but you would hope that when someone sends them a letter and says, hey, you stop this kid from doing it, it's wrong, allow it to happen, you would hope they stop with the resistance. And what we find is a lot of times they just keep up the resistance because they think, who are these people that tell me I'm wrong? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and there are Christian legal groups that are like, yes, you're totally right. It's like, no, you're wrong about the law. You'll lose all of these cases when you keep saying this. Um, so, I mean, there is, it's, it's crazy. I think most principal teachers are on the right track. Most of them are going to do the right thing. Some of them are ignorant, but if they learn the issue. But you know what? The more we see these things coming up, the more we see these students mm-hmm. trying to form groups and getting shut down, it becomes a media story. And hopefully they'll see it and be like, oh, well, now I know how to handle it at my school. Mm-hmm. Oh, it almost feels to me like it's, it's especially an American thing, because uh, there's something we can say about our neighbors to the south is uh, don't tell me what to do yeah you know that's a big thing yeah. <laughs> Canadians will say oh okay it's the law fine we'll, we'll yeah. just do it no it's a very stubborn yeah, like, how like, dare you yeah. tell me my yeah, religious exactly. practice is you're wrong. gonna tell me what to do I don't yeah. think so it's my religious freedom to ban atheists from that's <laughs> doing right. this right. yeah um, so you, you spoke about the online atheist community and how, how great that is for students, especially for people who are coming out. And it's often, really, often. Not always, it's but really, often. Well, yeah. That's kind of what I was going to ask, because yeah. there is a really great support network, but there's also sometimes a dark side. Yeah, there. no, absolutely. Look, uh, first of all, the anonymity, it's hard in a lot of places. If you're a woman, oh my God, it's really hard. Um, so there's a good and bad side. The good side is if you just want to like share your thoughts, like, I don't think I believe in God anymore, um, I, I've been thinking this about the Bible passage and I, it doesn't sound right. You will get that support and discussion and confirmation like you couldn't before. Um, yeah, there are jerks online. There are people who are just like, look at how stupid religion is. And that means I'm great and smart. It's like, dude, you're an idiot and you're disrespectful of other people and you're a jerk. Mm-hmm. And yes, you see a lot of that online too. Um, and you're going to see that anywhere. There's like an insular community mm-hmm. of any one topic. There are going to be people that you're just like, I don't want anything to do with them. So, yes, there is that downside to it. 
if you're asking, like, I, I'm, I'd much rather have this happen, though, where it's yeah. like, there is the safe spot if you know where to find them. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the most part, if you're honest and sincere and not looking to pick a fight all the time and not just looking to put yourself above everyone, you're going to be okay. You're not going to get the sort of backlash as people who are, like, stubbornly, you know, whatever. They just, they want to pick a fight. You mm-hmm. see that all the time. Oh, sure. It happens on Reddit, by the way, which I mentioned earlier. Because mm-hmm. um, Reddit's notorious for being an amazing place to have discussions about certain things and being a home for you if you're not religious. But the second you are an atheist, man, it's a huge circle jerk. <laughs> <laughs> all over that site. Yeah. Almost as bad as YouTube comments, is what you say? Yeah. I, no, it's exactly that thing where it's like, you know what? I'll say this for the YouTube videos I've posted. There are some awesome discussions happening on those threads, but they're mixed in with idiots. Okay. And it I was happens. About to say, that's an anomaly yeah. there. <laughs> it happens on my own website too, where it's like there are some threads that I enjoy reading because I learn stuff, and then you have idiots who chime in, okay. atheist idiots who. Yeah, and it's like, and they're not even trolls because they're not anonymous. They're just like they're looking to pick fights. Like mm. with, there are Christians who will comment on my site. And they are just, how dare you? Why would you think that? Like, I don't just, the Christian might say, I don't defend what this politician did in the name of God. Um, But they'll pick a fight. So I've had very good conversations. I've done this on the podcast, too, where I've tried to talk to people who other, I would normally totally disagree with. And people get mad that I'm talking (laughs) to, like, a pro-life atheist. Like, because my question is, like, how does that make any sense? But it does to them, and there's, it's not like there's only one of them. There's a lot. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, what, what's happening? I want to figure you out. Mm-hmm. To me, that's interesting. To a lot of people, they're offended that I would give any voice to mm-hmm. that side. I talked with Sarah Palin's ghostwriter, which was yeah. really neat. I heard that. And <laughs> she was that. wonderful. Totally conservative. I had a great time talking to her, and totally she's wrong about everything. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> you know? And that's the thing, but it's like, you're so nice, and you're so wrong, but you can, that can happen. Mm-hmm. That's not as weird as I think it is. <laughs> and that's been like a pleasant... I don't know. There are people I know who could never have those discussions. But actually, when the I Sold My Soul on eBay book came out, it was written for a Christian publisher. And they were like, "How is? why is a Christian publisher letting you do this? Why are you speaking at some of these... I spoke at some churches. They're like, why did they let you speak? I would love to speak at these churches because I would let them have it. And I'm like, that's why you're not invited. Mm-hmm. Because... Like, you're not giving them, like, you're not meeting them anywhere. Right. And you're not going to convince them you're right if you're just acting like that. It right? almost looks, it almost feels like a symptom of what ha- is happening in politics in the U.S. as well. So polarized, either yeah. way. Yeah. There's no, there's no middle ground for people yeah. to meet. And the second there is a middle ground, like, you want to claim them for yourself, the person, or they're just going to, they're going to move one way or the other. Yeah. Like, it's hard to find a good moderate. And believe me, I don't think I am moderate. I think I am very much on the edge of the spectrum uh, you know David Silverman. <laughs> Not David Silverman. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I'll give Dave Silverman credit, though. He will go to the other end of the spectrum and talk to conservative Republicans who he disagrees with on so many issues. But he says, you know, based on what I know about conservatism and your principles of a small government, that should not have anything to do with religion. And on that point, he finds a lot of common ground with people who you're like, these people are crazy. But he will go there, and he'll find them, and he'll meet them there. Now, if he's talking to a bunch of atheists, yeah, he suddenly becomes a hardliner. <laughs> but he knows how to switch strategy, depending on who he's talking to. <laughs> Good skill. Yeah. So you, you said you went to about 34 different churches for a while. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. 
you wrote your book. So uh, what did you find? Did you go to like widely different churches? Yeah, so or? I went to like uh, a Christian mega church. I went to a black church on the south side of Chicago. I went to like a guy's living room because he was a small church. Um, he was the only one who knew what I was doing and he didn't <laughs> tell anybody because that would have been weird. Um, but in general, like, okay, if you've ever been to an evangelical mega church, they I put have. on a show and it's cool. You have? Like, I have. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're, they're amazing. Like, the, the talks are awesome. I did, like, forget the Jesus stuff. They're inspirational. They're really interesting. I like them. Mm. I've been to a couple now and I love it every time because it's like listening to a TED talk when you go there sometimes. Yeah. Really cool. Um, and I can see why, if you believed what they believe, you would, I would totally be invested in these churches. Like, my whole life would revolve around those churches. Um, if I went to the black church on the south side of the city, this is a poverty, big poverty area. They were talking about how do we improve the lot for everyone in our community. Mm -hmm. So they did things like, we want to raise money to buy computers for all the kids in our community who don't have them. And they're like, where are you going to get the money for that? But they found a way to do it. Mm -hmm. They offered free tutoring to everyone in the area. This has nothing to do with religion as far as we know. But they all came together through their faith and said, how do we help each other? I can't argue against that. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to argue against the gay people are sinners, whatever. That's easy to argue against. But when you see that, if that became the narrative, our job would become so much harder. Yes. Mm -hmm. like, but it's not because that's an anomaly, it seems, in mm -hmm. a lot of places. So there was some stuff like that that I loved. But then, yeah, I heard exactly what you think I would have heard. I thought people like, oh, who has back pain? Everyone, put your arm on, put your hand on their shoulder and cure them. I'm like, at what point are you going to say go to a doctor? I'm waiting for you to say that. You did not say that. Like, so I heard that stuff, too, and I'm like, this is, this is damaging. This yeah. could be dangerous. Was Benny Hinn there by chance? Benny Hinn wasn't there, but it was, <laughs> a, it was a vineyard church. That was the denomination. I'd never heard of it. And I, I was the pastor who bought me, he was there with me because he used to be a vineyard pastor. I'm like, what the hell are they doing? Like, tell them to go to a doctor. <laughs> and he said to me, he's like, you know what? They have ushers who are telling them you should go see a doctor. No, say it from the stage. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was really, that was troubling. But it's like, yeah, I saw some of that. Like, my spectrum of what I thought Christianity was, it expanded by a lot. So I, I've seen and heard from a lot of awesome Christians. Um, I work with a group called Foundation Beyond Belief, like yeah. a charity group, right? We got a lot of, when we went, at the beginning of the group, our thought was we will choose a slate of charities that are doing awesome things and raise money and we'll split it up amongst them, essentially. And we were like, one of the groups, just to show that we don't care as long as you're doing good, we'll give it to a religious charity as long as they don't proselytize. Because yeah. Yeah, if Christians want to get together and help the homeless, good for them mm -hmm. as long as they're not holding the Bible like as a carrot mm -hmm. or something. And we went to atheist groups and said, will you partner up with us on this? All of them said no. No. Because they're like, well, we will we'll join you as long as you take that out. Because mm -hmm. we can't do that with our members and say support them and say it's religious. And finally, we had the choice of we have to get rid of that to partner up with everyone. Or we say, screw it. We keep it. But now we got to start from scratch and do it by ourselves in the beginning. And I'm glad. We said we'll do it by ourselves because we thought that was worth standing for. And now mm -hmm. we have a smaller slate of charities. But one of them is always one of those religious groups. Because it's like, yeah, they're Hindu, but who cares? They're, look at what they're doing. It's yeah, amazing. Exactly. And they're not preaching. They're just doing it because they're compelled to by their religion. Fine. Good. It's, it's very close to what the Fraser Valley Atheist Skeptics yeah. Union did because we did partner with 
a five and two ministries yeah. to, to, help do the, to help the homeless. Awesome. And yeah. yeah, and why can't? We, of course, we yeah. can do that. Yeah, like, there's course. nothing wrong with that. When uh, po- politically speaking, there are so many Christian allies we have on social justice issues, abortion rights, women's rights, uh, gay rights. Yeah, good. We mm-hmm. want their voices. We can ally with them in so many ways. Yeah. Even church, separation of church and state, we can ally with them. And there are people who would be opposed to us doing that. And that's ridiculous. Yeah, no, and I think we've we've met people here in the Fraser Valley that have never actually met an, an atheist before, or at least someone who mm-hmm. professes openly that they're an atheist. And yeah, we had conversations, and they'd be like, "Wow, that's really cool. You're actually really nice people." And, right. And that's the kind of door. That How many times have we had that conversation where someone meets us and we're an atheist, yeah. and they're like, "Oh, you're you're nice." Yeah, you, you don't have like, more. What did you think I was gonna be? <laughs> yeah, and that's a huge theory. that's a huge thing we have to overcome. Mm-hmm. But um, again, it's getting better as more people are out. I think it's also one of the reasons yeah. why people like Neil deGrasse Tyson won't use the word atheist. It looks too tainted for them. Yeah, but I, I think I think we should do pretty much like what the, the gay population did. <laughs> take it back. Yeah, I don't think he's wrong. I I understand where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like personally, I'm like for selfish reasons. I wish he would just say no. This stop being religious, which he does, but he doesn't say it like that. He doesn't say it the Dave Silverman way. He will say it in a different way, like, we have to look at the evidence. Like, Mm -hmm. this is what all the evidence says, which is code for stop using your faith. Exactly. exactly. So, that's the thing. Like, yeah, and and I love that guy. And who's gonna, I don't know any atheist who's like, yeah, I hate Neil deGrasse Tyson. No, you love that guy, but so do religious people. They love it when Mm -hmm. he speaks. Because he's not talking about the thing that might get them their shackles raised and get their defenses up. He's a safe guy to listen to, no matter what. And more power to him if he can find a way to make that work, because we sure haven't, <laughs> most of us, you know. Yeah. So, you have another one? No, that's cool. Well, here's your, here's your chance to plug yourself. Um, cool. Go. Um, FriendlyAtheist.com is the website if you want to check that out. Um, check out the podcast. Check out the podcast at friendlyatheistpodcast.com because we are not clever with names. <laughs> um, and on YouTube, uh, Atheist Voice is the channel. Yeah. Well, thank you so, you so much for your time. Thank you, guys. And that was Evan Meta. Great guy, by the way, huh? Yeah, he's super nice, intelligent, articulate. Awesome. Uh, great conversation with him. Uh, hopefully we'll get to see him again uh, up uh, in Canada anytime... Uh, well, actually, it might take a while. But, uh, <laughs> we got to see him. It was yeah, good. hopefully we can uh, bring him back uh, up here. And uh, food for thought on uh, how he uh, tackles uh, his guests. And uh, if you haven't been following his podcast, it's called uh, Just a Friendly Atheist. It's a nice little podcast. Yeah, he did an interesting talk on you, the problems that youth, uh, atheist youth face in the States. So it, was, it was very interesting. All right. Time for my rant. Why is it so low? Guns and Roses? No. Yes, it is. No, it's not. <laughs> no? It's Motley Crue. Oh, Motley Crue, that's right. <laughs> My heavy metal knowledge is waning. I yeah. thought you were just not saying because of copyright. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tonight's show, I hope, didn't leave you confused, although you could still be wondering about the merits of either approach and which one you classify yourself onto or which one is more effective. There's a bigger lesson here. Whether a firebrand, a diplomat, or a combination of both, or the two, the point of it all is to come out and speak out. There are too many of us hiding and hoping for some kind of miraculous worldly conversion, pun intended. How can we expect to shine the light of truth upon believers when so many of us hide? That many of us still push the old myth that debates and discussion with believers is somehow pointless. 
that they're not worth talking to. Many of us are the product of having been shown the truth, and if you ask us former believers, we'd respond, hell yeah, I think we're worth talking to. Somewhere in all of us, an atheist, armed with the courage of his or her conviction, planted the seed of doubt. It might take years for that seed to sprout, but you never know when you'll deconvert the next Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, or Christopher Hitchens. There comes a time, a tipping point, where the mind of the populace changes, adapts to a new norm. Think of that time when smoking in a restaurant was acceptable despite a great numbers of non-smokers. That practice was acceptable only because people let it happen. It ceased being so when non-smokers came out of their timidity and demanded their rights. That tipping point was reached. Or more recently when the LGBT came out, pun intended, announced proudly who they were and told us that they are not going anywhere and demanded the rights that were theirs. You see a pattern here? So it will be with atheists as well. Many of us have a difficult circumstance to deal with, but that's high time you start you stop asking why isn't somebody stopping religion and realize that you too are somebody. All right. Well, that takes us to the end of our show. Thank you all for coming. Yes. Wonderful to have you here and and hopefully you'll I'll come back soon. Jeff, you, uh I know you're very you and Nancy are very uh working very hard on the cause of the uh the homeless in Abbotsford. Is there anything you want to, before we close the show, you want to mm-hmm. talk about? Anything you can? Uh, n- nothing really miraculous to announce, except we're, we're still hard at it. Um, we've been uh, fairly frustrated with the lack of support by the city, and um, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're coming up with some new strategies that'll, uh, that'll hopefully um, get, you know, provide some fruits uh, in the next few months. So keep, we'll keep you posted. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Cities that have the will to end homelessness do, and cities who have the who have the won't mostly are people from Abbotsford. <laughs> but hopefully that hopefully the uh, city of Abbotsford will join the the ones who have the force of will to get it done. We'll keep we'll keep being the firebrand to light the fire, right, Jeff? You got it. Oh, awesome. We appreciate that. That's awesome. Well, you guys can still follow us at the leftatthevalley.com. You can follow us on Facebook. You go to Block Talk Radio. If you sign up on Block Talk Radio, whenever the show airs, they'll send you an email telling us we're airing. Uh, coming soon, we have a talk with Damien Gillis, our friend Damien Gillis. We'll be talking about Site C. We'll be taking a skeptical look at Site C, the Site C Dam. We'll be talking to Matt Dillahunty at Imagine No Religion 5. And well, as well, we have an interview with Lawrence Krauss coming up as well. And uh, like I just said, we also had an interview with David Smalley. Lots of good stuff coming on the pipe for you guys. Thank you so much, guys. Yes, thank you. Fun to have you here always. Thanks for having us. Until next time.